Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mindset Podcast, helping you maximize your performance. And this is your host, Alex Muir. In today's episode, episode 27, we're going to be talking with our special guest, Rocky Romanella. Rocky is the CEO and founder of 360 Management Services. He's the author of the five-star book, Tighten Your Lug Nuts. And Rocky is going to share with us his extensive leadership experience throughout his career, uh, uh, 36 years at UPS, moving all the way up the ranks from uh, truck loader all the way up into high leadership roles within UPS. And he's also going to talk about some key insights into his book, Tighten Your Lug Nuts. So please welcome, without further ado, Rocky Romanella to the podcast. And this episode is brought to you by RadioGuestList.com, the number one free radio guest podcast and talk show guest expert interview booking service on the internet. And welcome to the Mindset Podcast, and this is your host, Alex Muir. And today's special guest, we have Rocky or Rocco Romanella. Rocky, appreciate you joining us today on the podcast, and uh, you have, we have lots to talk about today. And uh, number one we got to talk about your book, Tighten the Lug Nuts and Balancing Leadership in Organizations Large and Small. So first, I wanted to definitely start off by talking a little bit about your book. I was doing a little bit of reading last night on uh, kind of your book and your outlook and your background. And you have a very, very long tenure, uh, how you got your start. Like you were saying, like you, you paid for your way through college, university, and then right out of our yeah, right out of high school, you worked for 36 years with UPS, and you worked your way up the ranks, all the way up to into a lead, high uh, leadership positions. And and if I recall correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also um, became the CEO of uh, and you handled all the logistics and everything for the UPS store and getting that uh, reg- that registered trademark for all that stuff for Mexico, US, and Canada. Was it? Or even, yeah, or even yeah. further than that, yeah. So absolutely incredible, and uh, definitely uh, our listeners, are, our listeners will definitely want to hear about that and kind of how your journey all started. And uh, yeah, give us a little bit of details about that. Well, Alex, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you today, and uh, yeah, certainly uh, an interesting career. Started out as you said, unloading trailers uh, part time in uh, in New Jersey. And it was a way for me to work my way through school. And UPS had a promotion from within policy, which I took advantage of by working hard. And I learned some valuable lessons there. It started, though, with my dad, who since passed, but was such a big influence in my life. And when I started at UPS, he said to me two things. He said, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then learn your job and learn some more. And so as I was working my way up, I may not have always felt ready for that next job. And UPS would tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, we got this new assignment for you. You know, I would I probably had that look on my face like, really, you think I'm the right person for this job? And, you know, the thing I learned there was is that oftentimes as a leader, you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And so you bridge the gap as a leader. You know, Alex starts this new assignment. He may be a little bit nervous. He may not feel he has the, you know, may not have the confidence or the skill yet. But you bridge that gap by believing in them. And then you get to that kind of break even point where you're feeling good about yourself. The company organization feels good about you. And then you really start to fly. And that's when you step back as a leader. 
And so for me, that was an important learning lesson. And as you said in the intro, I, I managed the mailboxes, et cetera. We rebranded to the UPS store. At that time, it was worldwide. So I had the worldwide operations. And then we purchased over 20 companies and built what's today UPS Supply Chain Solutions. And I had this side of the world. Uh, had operations in Canada for both MBE and the UP and, um, and supply chain. Retired after 36 years and then started as the CEO of a telecom company. We built cell towers, upgraded cell towers. So uh, had some great opportunities along the way. And always in the background over my shoulder was my dad saying, hey, whatever they ask you to do, just say yes and thank you. Incredible. Yeah. And that's very, very good advice. Um, you know, anytime your parents are just giving you that, uh, that little, little, little bit of a push just to be, it's, it's just being all about, you know, open to opportunity. And when you're open to opportunity, you know, uh, great things can happen. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. The third thing he told me later on was he said, Hey, it's what you do when no one's watching that counts. And I remember saying to him, dad, you just kind of ruined it. You know, no one's watching. That's probably, you know, it's a pretty good thing, you know, if no one's watching. And he said, you know, there's always two people watching the man upstairs and the person looking in the mirror. And, you know, when you think about it from that perspective, you have to look in the mirror at the end of the day and know you did the best job you could. You may not have been as successful as you wanted. It may not have gone the way you wanted it to go, but you have to know that you did the best job you could, you know, as a basketball player, a hockey player, a baseball player, whatever sport that, you know, you want to pick, you never want to leave anything in the tank. You want to leave it all on the field and know you did the best job you could. And it's the same in business and in life. You got to look in the mirror and feel good about the fact that you gave it your best shot. Yeah, no, exactly. And one thing I oh, I don't think I've asked previously in interviews, but one thing I've always been very um, interested in is how, uh, w you know, let's say someone is a CEO or they're in a very high position in a company or they're, they've been self-employed for a very long time and they have, they run their own very large company. How does one, uh, how does one like that, a person in a, working for a company or owning their own company, how do they have that? How do they have that balancing act of, you know, their time in their company that's spent there, let's say it could be anywhere from 50 to 80 hours a week or 45 to 60 hours a week. And then they still got their family. They've got, let's say pets, they got kids and they've got their, yeah, they, their spouse. How does one balance all that still be successful, have a thriving successful business or career but still find the time or create the time for their, for their spouse and their family. Like that's the one thing I've always found kind of, you know, very interesting, but I'm at the same time, I'm like, you know, how, how does one balance all that out? Well, I think there's two important things to keep in mind as you, as you go through this journey. And now clearly I'm looking back with years of experience of probably not doing it the right way. So, you know, if my family, my, my kids were listening, they'd be like, dad, really? I mean, now, now you figured this out, right? Kind of idea. But I think the two things, the first one is don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too low. So if you can understand that, and that's so important because you're going to have some really good days, but don't be out there, you know, kind of spiking the football and over celebrating because quickly you're going to have some brilliant to some tough days too. And it's just that cycle you go through. So if you can keep, you know, keep that in balance where you don't want your highs get too high and your lows get too low, that keeps you in a good place. And it, and it, and it helps you then, you know, on the balancing act, you're going to try to do between your personal life and your professional life. I think when it comes to that balance, the most important thing is you have to understand and put things into two categories, nice to do things 
and need to do things. And I think one of the mistakes I made throughout my career was I put everything into need to do. Everything was important, how to get it done. Well, I look back today and there were many things that were nice to do things that I put in need to do. And if you're not careful, if you put everything in need to do, well, then something has to be compromised. And generally it's your family time or it's your personal time or it's that time you need to decompress because you're doing nice to do things that in retrospect you really didn't need to do. So I think it's important to put things into nice to do and need to do. And then those things that are nice to do, and, and you've got a choice of going to your son's little league game or your daughter's cheerleading event or whatever, or just taking your wife out or spouse or partner out to dinner. It, you, you can make that decision to say, you know what, that's a nice to do thing. It'd be nice to do it, but I don't really need to do it. What I really need to do is, you know, take that important person in my life out to dinner that's what's so important. And if, but if you put everything on one way or another, you're out of balance. If everything's, I'm going to take care of myself. Well, then you probably miss some important things inside your professional life. If you put everything in your professional life as a need to do thing, then you probably are out of balance in your personal life. So I think those are the two things I would say. First one is don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too low. And then understand the difference between nice to do things and need to do things. No, that's really well said. Yeah. Um, because, that's something that I've always like been trying to process and trying to articulate, you know, you know, the best way that I know how as of right now, like I'm only 27 years old right now, but I, I definitely have learned a lot from people like yourself and previous guests that I've had on, but that's a question I've never asked. And I've always been super curious about of how people do it because there's lots of people that achieve great things, but there's always sacrifices that need to be made. And it's just a matter of knowing, uh, you know, what sacrifices you're willing to, and not willing to make. I think that's a great point. And, and it's, it, when you look back and you think about some of the sacrifices and then if they were sacrifices on those kind of nice to do things, you think to yourself, wow, I missed out on that opportunity. And that is the one thing that you learn is that, you know, the most precious gift that you have is time. Time mm -hmm. is that precious gift that you never get back. And so if, if you squander that time or you squander the opportunity and, and squander sounds a little bit harsh. It, it, if the decisions you make during that time, you know, that you spent, you, you look back and you say, wow, you know, I'm 27 right now, as you said, but you're only going to be 27 once. And you look back and you're thinking, okay, you know, what could I have done different? What could I have done better? Many times it comes down to how you spent that precious time. And that's that gift. That's that precious gift that you, that you never get back. And it's also a great gift that you're given to that spouse or significant other or important person in your life, to your family, to other people important in your life. And that's, that's a great gift. And you'd hate to think that you miss an opportunity to spread that gift around. No, for sure. And, uh, the way Tim Ferriss put it is time's non-renewable and you've only got so much of it, but money, money comes and goes and it can come in, in, in waves and in, in or a little bit less and you can always get money back, but you can never get your time back. So yeah, it's a great point. He asked him. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, who, who would you say like throughout your career or when you're beginning your career with UPS, what kind of books did you read that you really, really liked? doesn't have to necessarily be self-help or personal development, but what kind of education would you utilize, let's say outside of work or, or university that just, you're really drawn to that really helped you learn the process of becoming who you are today? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so for me, I, so I went to college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach, interestingly enough. And, 
And so what happened was, as I was working my way through college and taking classes as a, to become a teacher, I noticed that the best leaders were those individuals who could get their people to connect the dots. And so I never gave up my passion of being a teacher and a coach. I just did it in a different setting. It wasn't, wasn't in a traditional classroom. It was in a business setting, and it wasn't on a field. It was in a business setting. And so for me, that influential person was legendary coach John Wooden, from UCLA basketball and coach Wooden was just a, you know, just a tremendous human being. He was a teacher before he was a, was a coach. He developed his pyramid of success. So I read all coach Wooden's books. I actually, Alex had the, uh, the, the privilege and the honor to meet coach Wooden. I actually spent four hours with him during my time at UPS. We had a project and we were going to profile uh, an in, a famous individual to talk about leadership. And I had just seen coach Wooden talk, and I took the chance, reached out to the UCLA. He had since retired when I reached out to him, but he retired from UCLA. And I reached out to the UCLA athletic department. And sure enough, they gave me his phone number. Long story short, I ended up uh, reaching out to him and uh, and spent four hours with him. In fact, on my website, uh, 360managementservices.com, uh, number three in the word 60managementservices.com, I actually have an hour interview with Coach Wooden if anyone's interested. But So he was my most influential a uh, person who wasn't a family member or s- some significant person in my UPS career, Coach Wood, and I read all his books. And uh, uh, today I probably quote him more than anyone else of, of individuals that I had read or learned from. Wow. Yeah, that's, inc- that's awesome. Cause he was a, he was a hell of a, of a coach. Oh, like he's amazing. got like, and, and he, I, and I believe he was there the same time, that a lot of some really big players were coming into the NBA. Like, oh, yeah. uh, I remember he coached, uh, I be- oh, wait, no, sorry. I'm thinking of Chris Weber for Michigan State. No, no, he coached uh, Lou Alcindor, who then became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He had Bill Walton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has a great story in his book. He, ta- he talks all the time about his time with Wooden, I mean, with uh, Walton. And Walton was like the freshman of the year. He comes in the following year. So Coach Wooden had very specific guidelines. And, you know, it's funny. He came in and, uh, and, and you weren't allowed to have a beard or facial hair at, that, at UCLA. Oh. And so, of course, <laughs> Bill, of course, Bill Walton comes in and, uh, you know, he's got a beard after his great freshman year. And he's, you know, kind of like touted as one of the greatest college basketball players. And so, of course, you know, he knows Coach Wooden's not going to be happy. But he's, you know what, so he comes in and he, he says, look, coach, before, and I'm paraphrasing the story that coach Wood told me, but, but and of course it's in his books, but he says, you know, coach, before you get upset, you know, it's a free country. People have died for our rights. And, you know, I feel like it's my right to be able to have a, you know, kind of beard and uh, facial hair. And coach Wood looks at him and says, Hey, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's one of the greatest countries in the world. And just let me know what team you're playing on and I'll be your biggest fan. <laughs> And so Walton looks at me and goes, excuse me? He goes, Coach Wooden says, yeah, you tell me what team you're on. I'll be your biggest fan. He goes, are you telling me I can't play here? He goes, no, I didn't tell you you couldn't play here. You've decided that you don't want to play here because you're oh. not going to follow the rules. And that's oh. such a great, great lesson and such a great approach. I'm not making this decision. You are. Yeah. And I think yeah. that you think about in business and you think about people that you lead or people in your care as a leader – Many times they look at you as the person making that decision. You're not, you know, the rules and regulations, you know, you know, it's like the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees don't have facial hair. 
I mean, when you become a Yankee, it's not a doubt in your mind that, hey, I'm going to shave. I mean, but I'm going to probably win a World Series. I'm going to probably get to a championship game. So I can't shave fast enough, right, because I'm going to be on a winning team. So I think that that whole that was one of the valuable conversations I had with him when we talked. He told me the whole Walton story. Later on, I was at Seton Hall uh, University here in New Jersey, and I, you know, and I do some things there and try to help out and speak to juniors and seniors as they're moving through their uh, college careers and, and beginning their work life. And actually, Bill Walton was there one day signing some books on a speaking tour, for, visiting the. Seton Hall basketball team. And so I got a chance to talk to him and I looked at him and I said to him, Hey, uh, Hey, I know the, uh, I know the story. He looked at me, he goes, you talked to coach Wooden? I said, yeah, <laughs> know the whole story. So we talked about it. And of course, coach Wooden has since passed, but it was funny. The two of us just sat there. He goes, man, you spent four hours with him in his, his condo. That's precious. I go, Oh, let me tell you what. It's one of the, one of those moments I'll never forget. Right on. That's incredible. And yeah, so you got to meet Bill Walton and John Wooden. At two separate yeah, occasions. That's incredible. Yes, yeah. And they're talking about the two of them. It was pretty funny. It was pretty wild. <laughs> uh, you know, he kind of looked at me and goes, Look, you're the common denominator, man. I go, Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you're the manager. I said, Look at this. Both. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I said, I'm the I'm the middle of the H because you're you're like 6'10 and he was like 6'8. I said, And I'm this five foot seven, five foot six. Well, five six on a good day, little Italian guy between two of the biggest guys I've ever met. He's, he laughed. I said, Yeah. I go, You're the, I'm the, I'm the bar in the H there. <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. And on a, on a side note, um, for your for your three your uh, your company, three sixty management services, for the companies or the business owners that you consult with, um, what would you say would be their largest challenge um, with with their business? What, what is their most common concern that when they're you know they could be in business for thirty years, ten years, five years, or you know startup just starting off? Um, what would be their largest challenge that you, that you help them, um, that kind of dissect and break down? It's interesting because I work with a lot of very small businesses and I work with large corporations, as you said, but interestingly enough, it seems to always be the same concept of where they allow their strength to become their weakness. And think about a very small business, right? You know, there's, you know, it's fun to work with entrepreneurs. They're the backbone of both the, you know, every, every country's economy, but, but it's interesting. Their strength becomes their weakness. So what's their strength? Their strength is nobody knows business better than they do. No one's more vested than they are. No one's more committed to the business than they are. What's their weakness? No one's vested in the business more than they are. No one's more committed than they are. And so, so what happens is they become very tactical. Well, one of the things, and it's the same with large businesses, they do what they do really well, but, but the, the goal, the key is you know, as Wayne Gretzky would say, you got to you have to go to where the puck's going, not to where the puck's been. And so if you think about that small business owner, they're, they're so involved in the day to day execution. But but part of their responsibility is to take that step back and start to have a vision. What am I going to look like in the next six months, 12 months or 18 months from now? And it's no different in a large corporation. If you think about it on the 105 year anniversary, 107 year anniversary right around there of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. They stopped having a catalog, and at that time, Sears was the largest retailer in the world, I believe. And when asked why they don't have a catalog, the CEO said, no one buys on catalogs anymore. Well, if you think about it, who's Sears today? It's Amazon. You could buy anything yeah. you want in a Sears catalog. Now you can buy anything you want out of Amazon. So it's not it's not that people weren't buying a catalog. So large companies have the same issues that small companies do, right? They, they, they become too tactical, and they they... 
they don't, you know, they have to take that step back and you have to start to have vision out of this pandemic. Now there are going to be companies that are going to be bigger, better, stronger coming out of this. There's going to be companies that are struggling that barely make it. And then there's going to be those companies that have already closed already. And so those people in the middle, the only way they're going to get to that bigger, better, stronger is, is to manage through it, understand what we're going to look like and where's the puck going? What What's the business going to look like in the future? And I think that, that's what would be that. So that same issue of allowing your strength to be your weakness is the same in small businesses as it is in large businesses. What, how do you get that strategic vision? Right. Right. And I, I really like the way you said that because I I'm working for a small business right now and we were hit by the pandemic pretty hard. Um, so I was off work for two months and so what I do at work is promo marketing. So we help businesses with their branding and their swag. So it's a really unique role, which is, uh, promo marketing is much bigger in the U.S. It's got a lot of room to grow because nowadays it's more than ever. Uh, companies need branding. They need swag. They need their, their company top of mind. And especially even in Canada, a lot more, comp- a lot more um, small business owners are doing the full vehicle wrap of their logo and their website and, and all that on their on their vehicles. So I'm noticing a lot more, I'd say over these last three to five years, that a lot more people are focusing on their branding and getting their name and their their brand out there of their business and their website and all that. So with what I do at my work, fortunately, we've been able to recover a lot faster because that's where things are heading. A lot more small businesses, you know, you know, uh, you know, smaller mom and pop shops, they might not be be able to recover from this pandemic, but a little bit, you know, small to medium sized businesses, um, depending on their business model, um, they definitely have potential to uh, pivot or to um, recover from this pandemic just as fast as we have, because there's demand for all sorts of different um, branding services that, that we can offer. So, so it's like, it's just one of those things where like, uh, it's the rel- a lot, like you said, a lot of businesses were relying on older habits that no longer can be served in this economy right now with the pandemic and everything going on. So it's 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 more that we have to pivot, or we have to just change some strategies to new strategies. That's all. Well, and I think you have to. I think that's very true. I think you've, you've articulated that very very well. And I I also think it's an understanding of. So what do I think the future is going to look like? And if you think about it for a second. Think about what, you know, businesses and companies all go through, you know, you know, this whole kind of um, exercise of where they have what they call continuity planning. How do we get through difficult times? How do we get through, you know, events? And but most of the events are either hurricanes, floods, you know, massive snowstorms, you know, things like that. It's, you know, strikes if you're in a, you know, maybe in a union environment or something like that. This was completely different. Right. And so their continuity planning wasn't for this. And so if you think about it, I think there's going to be, you know, moving forward, there's going to be more, you know, you're going to have more distance learning. You're going to have more people working from home, but you still have to have, you know, you still want to build a, you know, culture inside your organization. So how do you balance that of, I'm going to have more people distance learning. I'm going to have more people working from home, but I want them to feel like they're part of something special. I want them to feel like they're part of the organization. So, so when you think about it from that perspective, A, you're going to have to, you know, kind of move your company in that direction or B, companies are going to grow out of that. How do I handle distance learning? What, you know, 
how do I have a virtual conference call? How do I have a virtual meeting? How do I have those kinds of things? So it'll be interesting to see how things move forward coming out of this. No, for sure. And, um, and I've talked to a lot of my previous guests and I've asked them that same question. Like, how do you see things changing after this pandemic's over? Cause this pandemic's going to be going on for a few years at least. Um, and the, one of my guests, his name's Gerald Leonard. Um, he wrote a book called the culture is the base. Um, and he, he specializes in helping companies with, uh, with their culture. And what he does is he helps, uh, current or new CEOs or, or board of directors with their, with their companies, either gelling together their, what, what culture they have in mind for helping out the, the company. Um, when they're coming into a new company, he helps amalgamate their view on the culture with, with the employees and make sure it all gels together. So the culture stays intact and it stays strong. Um, so he talked about that and he said, he believes that, um, there's definitely going to be a lot more, uh, software and all that in these next little while. Like even he was saying companies across the U S are, there's a lot of people working from home now, like for a lot of different roles. So, yeah. Well, I think, I think this is going to be a very important, um, part of, of, a company strategy going forward. Cause if you think about it for a second, I mean, people ask me all the time, Oh, you know, you were with UPS for 36 years and, you know, obviously in today's world, you don't hear a lot of, you know, that kind of longevity. But for me, I tell people all the time, I didn't agree with everything that happened at UPS. I didn't disagree enough to leave. And if you think right, about that right. for, right. If you think about that for a second, it's because my values, my ethics, the things that I was kind of brought up on, Matt's with UPS. I mean, UPS never asked me to violate a law, break a policy. You know, we, we had some rough days. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, I felt like I fit there. And if you think about when people are coming out of school and they're looking for that next job or they're working for a company today, they have to feel like they fit values, ethics, and culturally there. Because if you do, then you can ride out the rough days. But if you feel like you're being compromised or that you, or you feel like your values, your ethics – the things that are important to you, like for me, hard work, enthusiasm, doing the best job that I could was very, very important to me. That's how I was brought up. That was that. Well, UPS recognized hard work, recognized results, recognized people that were, were loyal and, and those kinds of things. Why? Well, well, I fit. But if those aren't important values to you at some point, you're going to leave because that's not what's important to you. So as we move forward and we start to work in this new world, it the turnover that you may get inside your organization is generally people always say, oh, people leave because the pay is not enough. It's really pay is really not as big a deal as everybody thinks it is. It becomes a big deal when you don't fit in an organization because when people say you don't pay me enough, what they're really saying is you don't really you don't pay me enough for what you're asking me to do. Right. Because because right. when I took when I took this job, I knew the job paid X. But now yeah. all of a sudden X isn't enough. Well, why isn't it enough? Because you don't pay me enough for the things you're asking me to do. You're asking me to do this job, but you don't treat me with dignity and respect. I don't feel like I'm valued or I feel like there's no promotion process in place for me. I don't see a path forward. Well, now you can see where that, where that question now goes to, you don't pay me enough for what you're asking me to do in this kind of environment. And I think to your point and to, and to his point in his book on the culture is, Culture is going to be so important because if I don't feel like I fit and you're not working on it, making me feel like I fit in this organization, I'm simply going to leave. Exactly. Yeah. 
And that's that's where the um, challenge lies right now, and it has for for a lot of people like my age and younger, and and even a little bit older. Because um, because I put such a I put such a, a high priority on culture and and my and my um, my morals and my ethics. Um, like it it all has to gel together. And uh, that's right. And. And I always go back to my previous experience when I was working at the bank. So as I was finishing my degree, I was a little torn um, because I was, I was in the midst. I was halfway, just, just under halfway finished my, my business degree at school where I'm from. And, but then this banking opportunity came up. And that's, what I, that's the whole reason I went to university is because I wanted to get into the bank because I was just obsessed at that time uh, with finance and numbers and, and money. And... Because I want, because my, I told my parents, I said, I, I want to learn, I want to be really educated with understanding money and how to talk money with, you know, whether it be just investing or, you know, lending, credit. I just want to understand it because a lot of people, they don't understand it. And it's like, if you don't understand money, I feel like earlier on, it's just, it, it can be a little challenging as you get older because it's a lot of different language. And uh, yeah, like it can be learned at any age, but, for myself personally, I just wanted to learn it really early on to, to kind of jumpstart things. So when I do make, you know, grow into the income or the the money that I desire, that I'll, I'll, under, I'll have the understanding and I'll be able to keep it longer because it's about longevity for me. So, but the, the job that I was able to get into, I was 20 years old. I was just 20 years old. Um, and, and I was torn my, telling my parents, I'm like, you know, like I, I should finish my degree, but they're like, no, 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 you know, make, make the judgment call, uh, because they, this bank paid really good money, and and they were gonna pay for me to take my mutual fund license, and so I was like, I have to take this, and you know, I know I got to put school off, but you know, if I take this opportunity, it'll it'll jumpstart my career, and I never looked back, and it definitely did. Um, so I was there. It was an affiliate bank of CIBC, which which in Canada is a, a Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, and we do have a few um, states I think that CIBC is in in, in the U.S. I'm not sure where it's mainly on the East coast, I think, but so I was working for their affiliate bank, which is like their, their, uh, child bank, uh, simply financial, which at the time was, was called PC financial. And I was there for three years and that's a place where the culture, you know, my values, my ethics, everything was in line. And then for these last few years, it's just a little bit more challenging because I was a banker and that was, became a big part of my identity. And I did that for four years. And these last, I'd say, two and a half years, I've been kind of bouncing around because, um, like the 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 culture and all that, it, it hasn't been in line with my morals and my ethics and kind of my vision. Because I have a very clear vision. It's just you know my vision hasn't lined up with the company's vision. So that's why I feel by doing this podcast, I can discover tools and tactics and principles from, from all my guests to kind of help me build, you know, carve that path and make it a little bit more clear. And if anyone well, listening about to that, it. yeah. And, and think about it. That's, that's what's so important. And th- I think that's why when I go back to what I said is, Hey, look, you know, I didn't agree with everything that happened at UPS. I didn't disagree enough to leave. And that helps you through the difficult times. Like every day wasn't a great day at the bank. I mean, you had your ups and downs, but you, but you felt like you fit. You know, I, I always exactly. equated to when the, I always equated to when kids go, you know, visit their, you know, go visit the college campus that they're going to potentially go to. And, and I, 
you know, and both my boys were playing sports at the time. And so I, you know, you always tell them, look, don't go to that college to play hockey or to play baseball, go to that school. Cause you feel like you fit because if you get hurt or you don't make the team or you're not playing as much as you thought you should or could, you, you're not going to, you know, if you like the school, it's because you fit. And so, you know, it's amazing. You'll see, a, you'll see a, a student go on campus and like, they'll just look around and you can look in their face. Like, I feel like I belong here. I feel like I fit. Well, that's what's so important. And the same happens as you approach your career. Do I fit here? Do I, and to your point, do I fit morally, ethically, and culturally? And so if you do, then that, then you can make it through it, the difficult time. But if you don't fit, then you always feel like I don't belong here. And then you're going to transfer, right? You know, 50% of all the kids transfer from one school to another. Think about how many people we know change jobs. Like you're mm-hmm. on your second one. You could be on your third one pretty soon. Yeah. If you don't feel that, not that that's a bad thing. It's just mm-hmm. that you're, it just, it just, you know, kind of reinforces the point we're both talking about as, as you're entering that workplace, it, it's important to, to feel good about the job you're doing, but feel good about the place that you're working. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly it. And, uh, and it's always this, it's this, uh, continuous process of, uh, finding, uh, finding companies or, you know, business, you know, business ideas. That's why I, I really like this podcast because I see this as a, I'm creating and cultivating a future, uh, an alternative pathway for myself. And potentially for other people too that are listening to this, oh, yeah. because yeah. this is this what this is doing. This podcast for me is it's it's creating and cultivating you know excellent relationships with people who I could potentially be able to meet in the future when all this pandemic's over, and actually you know going have these chats in person too. But also, they might really like me so much that they'll want to get to know me a little bit better, and we could potentially work together. You just never know. Um, oh, or, absolutely, absolutely. Or it's just it'll create a uh, opportunity along the lines of me- in media because I just I love to to talk to people and get to know them and I'm just always been a really curious person so um, I feel like this is kind of like my until I, until I find my fit with my career this is like this is going to be like I'm going to be using utilizing this and trying to build a business off of the my podcast because I love it so much um, to see yeah see what, how it can evolve and see if there's any future opportunity that can come out of it. Oh, that's a great, that's a great plan. So let's, so we talked about it from a company perspective. So companies have values, missions, and, and, you know, so I think there's three questions that people have to answer as well as companies have to answer. The first question, and, and this is so important. I talk about this when I get the opportunity to speak with juniors and seniors in college or juniors and seniors in high school, talking about, you know, beginning that either next step going into college and potentially a career and then coming out of school, getting ready for that career. I think there's three questions that you, that I think are important that you have to answer in the confines of your own heart, heart and conscience. The first one is who am I? So who is Alex? The second question is what does he stand for or what does she stand for? And the third one is what are the things you won't compromise? Now, clearly on a company side, the same three questions are important. You know, who am I? Who are we as a company? What do we stand for? What won't we compromise? Now think about some of the companies that have had their share of issues. Wells Fargo, uh, Volkswagen, just to name a few, right? I mean, here's a company with over 150 year brand, Wells Fargo, and look what they went through here in the States and you know, around the world. They clearly knew who they were, right? If we walked in one of their facilities, they had mission statement, value statements, posters everywhere. 
I, I, they probably knew who they were, what they stood for, who am I, you know, what do I stand for? But now number three was the key. What are the things I won't compromise? And the same is for that individual. And if you think about it, that becomes your brand. Well, individuals have individuals have, you have a brand as well. You're just starting to build that brand. And so the first step I would suggest to your audience and to you is the first, the first step I would say into developing your personal brand is the answer to the following question I'm going to ask you. And I think each person should ask themselves is what's the one word you want people to use at the end of your career to define you. What's that word that you want someone to use? You want people to use at the end of Alex's career to describe Alex. What's that word? Do you think tenacity? I just, okay, I so want I won't stop at nothing until I get what I want. Okay. So tenacity. So, so for me, the word was thoughtful to other people. It could be integrity. It could, you know, it could be, you know, aggression, tenacity. So for me, the word was, was thoughtful. I wanted to be considered a thoughtful leader. And if you think about it, if that's your word, tenacity, then your whole career is building your mosaic to that word. Gotcha. That become that becomes your brand. And I think I, I you know, I, I, when I have these conversations with people all the time, you know, I always say that, you know, what's that word, especially as you're coming out of college. Now that word will change potentially over the course of time. As you, depending on the roles or responsibilities you have, you may adjust the word tenacity, you know, uh, because as a, you know, if you become the CEO of a company someday, tenacity is a great word, but kindness may be a good word. Caring may be a good word. Servant may be a good word. But at the end of the day, tenacity is always going to be a core component of who you are. But, but the key to this conversation is you're building your brand. What's the brand? You know, so when you think of, if I yell dilly dilly, everybody laughs and understands exactly what that brand means or what that term means. Or if I said to you, hey, send the package overnight, as much as it pains me as a former UPS, or you say FedEx it, right? If I sneeze, you say, here's a Kleenex. Well, those are products, but they've become synonymous with brand, right? Well, it's the same with you as a person. If someday I, I, get, I start a job and I'm working for Alex and I say to a friend of mine who's there already, hey, what's Alex like? He describes your brand. He describes what your brand's about. He describes your brand promise. So I think that that's what's important as you be during your career is to establish your brand. Now, if your brand and your brand promise matches up with the brand and the brand promise of the company, it becomes a really, it becomes a really good fit. But like a company, when you break your brand promise, you lose that customer. When you break your brand promise as a person, you lose the people in your care, you lose your credibility, and it's so hard to get that back. It may be generations before people trust Wells Fargo again or potentially Volkswagen or any company that's had this share of problems. The same is true with you as an individual, not you personally, but a person who breaks their brand promise. It's hard to get that back. Right, right. Well, that's all the time we got today there, uh, Rocky, but uh, really appreciate your interview today, and I definitely want to do another interview with you in the near future here and we'll we'll talk about your book and uh go more into detail on that and other stuff as well and uh just an awesome awesome conversation today and i've learned a lot and uh and i really look forward to our uh our next interview soon here
Well, thank you, Alex. I enjoyed it as well. As I said, my website is 360 Management Services, and a lot of these conversations, uh, a lot of, I have a lot of YouTube videos on there about a lot of these subjects. And the book is Tighten the Lug Nuts, as you said, and we actually have a website, tightenthelugnuts.com, for more information. We're born, we're uh, Amazon, uh, five-star review, so uh, feel free. And if any of your audience would like to engage with me, you can uh, do it on contact me, contact me on, uh, on my website, but also my email address is rockyromanella at gmail.com. Uh, but I think you'll find that many of the topics that we spoke about tonight are in the book. So, uh, the book is, is not only a great, sto- I think a great story. It sounds boastful. So I, I hope you think it's a great story, but, uh, but each, each chapter is a lesson that stands on its own as well. So it, it becomes a workbook. I've, I've gotten quite a bit of people get back to me and say, Hey, it's really, it's a great workbook for me as I'm, as I'm growing and developing as well. So, but thank you very much for the opportunity and, uh, always, uh, always available for for another conversation or anything you or your audience may need. Awesome. Really appreciate your time today, Rocky, and uh, really enjoyed our interview today. You take care. Thank you. You too. Right. Be safe. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah, you too. You as well. I hope you all enjoyed episode 27 with my special guest, Rocky Romanella. Again, he's the CEO of 360 Management Services, keynote speaker, and the author of Titan the Lug Nuts. And if you wish to uh, get to know Rocky a little bit better, he, he, I have all of his links posted in the show notes uh, for this episode. I have his website, his LinkedIn, his Twitter, his Instagram, and the link to his uh, book website, Titan the Lug Nuts book. So if you want to learn about leadership, uh, you know, you want to learn about uh, becoming a great leader, thoughtfulness. This is the book to read. And if you want to, to book Rocky for any speaking engagements, um, you can also reach out to him as well on his uh, book site or his website, 360managementservices.com. And I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode. And let us know in the comments on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts what you thought of this episode. And again, thank you all for listening and much appreciation to Rocky Romanello for joining us today on the podcast and see you all next time. I hope you all enjoyed this special guest series episode brought to you by radioguestlist.com. Again, this is your host, Alex Muir. And if you'd like to learn more about kind of what I do and this podcast, Mindset Podcast, um, you can check me out on my social media. I always post all my links of my social media in every episode that I post. And I share all my posts, uh, my podcast posts on my LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. So you'll be able to check out the podcast links on there. So if you want to connect with me, get to know me, I will be answering messages on there. Um, if you have any questions and again if you want to hear more episodes like these or if you have any feedback please let me know uh, in uh, on social media you can send me a message or you can uh, yeah feel free to follow my uh, podcast and uh, be sure to you know keep keep checking in and see what I'm what I'm up to I really appreciate everyone that listens to my podcast and uh, hope you guys all enjoy and see you all next time Take care.